If you want to turn to John's Gospel once again, John's Gospel chapter 14 and verse 30. Just for those who weren't here this morning, just reread what we looked at. John's Gospel chapter 14 and verse 30. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold on me. And that's Jesus speaking. We saw this morning, if there's one verse you want to see in the Amplified Version, it's that verse. Because it, 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 it opens it up in, in, into a thousand other ways, you know. That he's got no hold on me, he's got nothing on me, he's got nothing in common with me, I've got nothing in common with him. It's just a fantastic line. And the purpose of this series, which will probably be about 10 weeks, is to unpack that. Because what Jesus said, I believe I can say. What Jesus said there, I believe you can say. Amen. He died to buy us freedom. Amen. And this morning we just laid the beginning of foundation. And again tonight we'll continue to lay a foundation for where we need to go in this series. So, Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming, or the devil is coming. And he's got nothing on me. What does that mean? What does the word nothing mean? It means not one thing. Not one thing. And it, it tells us basically the heart of Christ. That he operated a, if you like, a zero tolerance policy towards sin. Not one sin would be allowed. Right? Now, we should have the same perspective. Not just in principle as we shared this morning, but also in practice. Could I have my next slide please? He operated a zero tolerance policy. And I believe that we, and I'm not being unrealistic, but we should try to do the same thing. First of all, in principle, to say, right, I will make a commitment. Are you listening? I will make a commitment to operate in my life a zero tolerance policy towards sin. Not one sin will I tolerate. And I believe that was the heart of God. First of all, we accept that in principle. And then we endeavor to the best of our ability, as God enables us, as God equips us, to overcome everything and anything that the devil would put our way, right? And, you know, if you make that commitment in your heart in principle, and then you go to work it out in practice, God is very reasonable. I don't believe you're going to be perfect every day. Do you? I don't believe that. And you know what? The wonderful thing about the reality and the truthfulness of God, I don't think he does either. And in 1 John, God says this. I tell you what. Come, let's reason together. That when you sin, I am faithful and just, and I will forgive you of your sin. Come back to me and confess. But listen, my child, listen. Make it your goal. Make it your goal to have a zero tolerance policy. And when Jesus says the devil has got nothing on him, that's exactly what he means. Now, you may not be aware of this, but from you know, pastoral uh, care over the years, I've seen that many Christians do not operate that. Many believers don't have a zero tolerance policy to sin. In fact, I would say most believers actually tolerate quite a lot of sin. And one of the things I have to do, I was sharing this with the Asian congregation just a couple of weeks ago. One of the things I've had to do many times, unfortunately, is to go into a home where someone's been diagnosed with cancer, you know. 
and several of those people, it's been lung cancer. And in nearly every case, the person would be born again, maybe born again for many years, but a smoker most often. And you get a call that they've been saved for many years and a good, you know, church-going Christian, a good person, good man, good woman, but they were never able to kick the habit, you know? They just couldn't quite get it out, but they knew the Lord. And you go and visit such a home, and I've done it. And you go in and people say, oh, we're shocked. We're shocked that my mom's got cancer. We're shocked that my dad's got cancer. And I'm sorry, but I have to ask, why are you shocked? And they often say, well, you know, they're a good person. They do this. They tithe. They go to church. They're involved in the evangelism. They whatever. I say, yeah, but there's one thing you forgot to mention. They're a smoker. They're a smoker. And so I'm sorry, and I don't mean to offend you, and I don't mean to hurt you, but let me tell you something. I am not shocked that you got lung cancer. Are you with me? <laughs> I'm not. So why are you shocked? But I encounter that, you know, regularly in many different areas. People do not operate a zero-tolerance policy to sin. And then they get shocked or, you know, surprised by the outworking of life. And that's just unrealistic. When Jesus says, the prince of this world is coming and he's got nothing on me, he could equally say, the prince of this world is coming and I give him nothing to take advantage of. Right? Zero tolerance. I give him nothing. I don't smoke. So he can't put cancer on me. I don't open this door or that door. You know, a burglar, to get into your house, he doesn't need you to leave every door open. He just needs one. And please, guys, get smart and realize that the only true freedom is actually to follow the example of Christ and to truly operate to the best of your ability a zero-tolerance policy, and then you'll see God make up the gap. Now, this one thing principle is actually found in Mark's gospel again and again. Turn to Mark chapter 10 a moment. Mark 10, it's the rich young ruler, verse 17, very famous parable, but Mark tends to draw out this principle of how one thing in a person's life can stifle their freedom or stifle their Christian growth. Mark 10 verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was a sincere question, by the way. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. This is one good guy. Right? Serious. This is one good guy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. See that? Jesus looked at him and loved him, but then look at what he said. One thing you lack. There was one door open in that man's life, and you know what it was. He was tied to wealth, and he was unable to walk away from that. And Jesus walks right up and puts his finger on the one thing that was actually stopping that man from freedom. He actually didn't have a zero-tolerance policy. Just go back a few chapters to Mark chapter 6. And here Mark once again 
shows us the one thing policy or the zero tolerance policy. Mark chapter 6 and verse 14, where John the Baptist, it's about John the Baptist and Herod, you know, where John the Baptist has been crying out about the fact that he married Herodias. In verse 19, therefore Herodias, Mark 6 verse 19, Therefore Herodias held it against him, that's John, and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, that's it, when Herod heard John, when Herod heard him, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. And do you know what the point of that is? Herod did many things, except the one thing. Herod did many, in my belief, Herod wound up in hell, friends. Herod never got saved. Herod listened to the gospel. Herod liked John. Herod was afraid of God, the God of John. He did many things in his life, but for one reason, it looks like he ended up in hell. And that's astonishing. Or you've got the rich young ruler. Do you get the picture? You see, it's the, you don't have to have a thousand sins in your life. But one sin is enough to actually puncture your balloon. And that's a very important principle. You'll find it. Remember, Daniel is, is a prophetic picture of how to live as an end times believer, right? Remember, we did that over the last few weeks. And look at what happened to Daniel. They came to him. The servants were sent in and they said, find something on him, right? Find something on Daniel so that we can lock him up or arrest him. What was the conclusion? We can find nothing. We've got nothing on him. That's in your Bible for a reason. It's in your Bible for a reason. Daniel had what? A zero tolerance policy. In fact, they had to change the law in order to get him. Do you get the picture? And so there's freedom there. That's the first principle, basically. Only two simple points tonight, but they're foundational. And they'll crop up again and again and again as the weeks go by. So the first one, in principle, make a commitment to operate a zero tolerance policy to sin, right? And then in practice, work that out to the best of your ability and you will see that God will fill in the gaps there and, and, and help you through that. He's a good father. The second uh, foundational principle for tonight is that we must learn to take full responsibility for sin and to place it appropriately. The Christian battles has a war on three fronts. What are those three fronts? We need to know that off by heart, friends. That's a serious gap right there. The Christian has a warfare. The Christian has a battle. That's you. On three distinct, separate fronts. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can see this, as you, if you're aware of it, you can see this right throughout Scripture. And it seems to me, you know, everything to do with the devil has got to do with lies. He's a liar. Jesus called him the father of lies. And following him or being influenced by him is lies and bondage. Following Jesus and obeying Jesus leads to truth and freedom. And the devil really comes to try and lie to us about in, in, in three different ways. First of all, He'll be lying to you about you. Telling you things about yourself that are not true. Fiery darts, if you like, as Paul calls them. Secondly, he'll be lying to you about God. And you get that all the time. 
Christians having crazy thoughts about God and how God feels about them. He'll be lying to you about you. He'll be lying to you about God. And he would really like you to lie to yourself about yourself. Right? And these things come at us in these, principally in these three ways. Through accusation, through blame shifting, and obviously through temptation. I have found over the years that one of the most difficult things to deal with in a Christian is accusation from the devil. When someone doesn't themselves know how to fend off, say the devil putting them down or calling them useless or stupid or unwanted or unloved, when you deal with a person like that, I found it incredibly difficult to try and get them to help themselves. It's like an inside job, you see. It's very hard. One of the things we're warned about in Scripture is entertaining the devil, right, or his thoughts. And that's the problem. Some Christians do entertain. You know entertainment? It's not entertainment, but you invite someone around for dinner. What do you do? You welcome them in. You cook them a meal. You sit and talk to them. You entertain. You take time. And you have been warned, I have been warned about this accusation thing, that when anything comes to you, a thought comes to you that is either lying about God, lying about who you are in God, or getting you to deceive your very self, watch it. An accusation against God, an accusation against you, watch it. Don't entertain it. And the trouble is, you go to visit people, they're depressed, and they're sitting at home, and it's like they've made a meal for the devil, you know what I mean? And they're entertaining the thought. Have you been thinking about this all day? Well, do you know what happens? It goes from, to, from toehold to foothold to mental stronghold. The devil starts small with a thought and you start to think you're useless, unlovable, worthless. Starts with a toehold. As you entertain it, it becomes a foothold and ultimately it will become a stronghold in your mind. And that is very difficult to deal with. If you, now please listen to me, if you entertain thoughts about yourself, thoughts about God that are unscriptural, the devil will serve you up a plate of that every day. So stop eating it. Stop entertaining it, right? Accusations is one of the ways that you've got to learn to fight. We'll come to the world, the flesh, and the devil in a minute. Secondly, Jesus learned to place responsibility for sin appropriately, properly. And blame shifting, in my opinion, is one of the greatest areas where Christians really do fall down. They tend to blame the devil for everything. I think I mentioned to you once before, there was this guy, Rob. We used to call him Rob the Slob um, for a very good reason. <laughs> Believe me, that was a good name for him. And he was actually, we were pioneering a new church and, and we had never been to his place and we were going to his place. There was going to be a prayer meeting there. And when we got there, wow, astonishing. He was watching, I remember, Freddie Mercury, Queen. And it was on loud, you know, the music. And he was saying, shh, I just want to watch the end of this. And we came in and I sat down and I remember looking around and thinking, wow, he had beer cans cigarettes, about 10 pork pies, you know, and he's just surrounded with this stuff. I'm thinking, wow, he said, Pastor, do you want a pie? I said, no, you're okay, I don't want a pie. And he's smoking, smoking quite happily. And he's sitting there, he's like, prayer meeting, what time does the prayer meeting start? 
And I'm thinking, oh dear, we're having a prayer meeting here? I don't think so. You can get Freddie off for a start. He said, is it prayer meeting now, is it? Okay, um, and he did. He said to me, can I just watch the end, at the end of Freddie Mercury? And as I started to talk to that man, listen to me, please, and see if this is in you. As I started to talk to him about his life, he was saying this to me, Pastor, the devil's been having a go at me. You sure you don't want a pie? No, I don't want a pie, thanks, Rob. And you sit there and you realize the power, the destructive, binding power of blame shifting. As he sat there, I mean, he did, he really believed there was principalities and powers and all these things against him. And you have to say, Rob, do you know what? It's not the devil. Really and truly, the devil can take a day off, can take a sabbatical in your case, right? This is your flesh. Won't accept it. And start, this type always quotes scripture at you, right? Scripture, scripture, scripture. No, Rob, as long, listen carefully, as long as you blame shift, there'll never be freedom in your life. As long as you shift the blame to the devil, the devil, the devil, you will never walk in freedom. That's a tactic. That's a very basic tactic. You've got to take responsibility for sin and place it appropriately. The world, the flesh, the devil. And all three are involved. And if we don't see them, you see, we'll get caught in one of those traps. So firstly, accusation. Got to learn how to deal with it. Secondly, blame shifting. Don't blame shift. And thirdly, of course, temptation. But friends, Please don't underestimate what I'm saying. If you intend to have a successful free Christian life, to walk in freedom, never mind ministry, just life, you must come the way of Jesus. And I'm telling you, Jesus dealt with this. He started with the world, then he dealt with the flesh, then he dealt with the devil. He spent 30 years working as a carpenter with his father. That's the world. He was in the world. Then what did he do? Dealt with the flesh, 40 days of fasting. Then what did he do? Satan. The world, the flesh, and then the devil. And you will see this pattern right throughout Scripture. And I'll tell you something else. When the devil came to him to try and destroy Jesus, do you know what the devil did? He offered him the, the world, the flesh, the same thing. He comes first and he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. And Jesus replied with Scripture, right? The world didn't work, so he turned to the flesh. He said, you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Turn those stones into bread. And Jesus rejected that. The world, he appealed to his flesh and then said about worship. If you do this, that, and the other, you know, all worship will be given to you. No. It was the world, the flesh, and the devil. And a lack of awareness about that battle plan, that strategy, sees many Christians, they don't even get off first base. Because they don't understand the principles or we get caught on these things. We fall for the blame shifting thing. We accept accusations that stifle our freedom. Or we get caught up by not understanding the battle that surrounds temptations. Just briefly, let's look at all three of these things together. Could I have the world, the flesh and the devil on there please? Firstly, the world. How do you know if a problem comes into your life, how do you know that it's of the world and not of the flesh of the devil? 
Let me give you a few examples. Many Pentecostals, and I'm not criticizing Pentecostals, I'm just telling you the truth. Many Pentecostals, do you know what their battle strategy is? Do you know what they think about spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is about the devil, the devil, the devil. But it isn't. (laughs) Spiritual warfare is about the world, the flesh, and the devil, believe me. And they're very different. And each need to be understood and appropriately dealt with. For example, if you go to work on Monday and you sleep in, don't set your alarm clock, and you arrive in late, and your boss tells you off, and you get really humiliated in front of all your friends, and he or she shouts at you, well, that's the devil, isn't it? (laughs) No, it's not the devil. That's the world. Plain and simple, you're under the same rules as everybody else out there. If you're bombing down the motorway at 100 miles an hour, and behind you comes a little police car, you look and Pentecostal says, oh, here's the demons coming to get me. No. No, it's the law. You're the one that's breaking the law, right? If you park on double yellow lines and the nice little traffic warden comes along and puts a ticket on your car, don't blame the devil. If you're having trouble paying your mortgage this month, paying your rent this month, hey, we're in the world. I'm just saying, from a very young age, we're taught to blame shift. And it doesn't help. It doesn't bring freedom. It doesn't help us to win the battle. Stephen Gawkroger is a famous Baptist here in Britain, you know. And he was on a holiday camp, a Christian retreat, and he had his daughter with him, and they arrived, and there was actually a road outside the, the, the chalet they were staying in, and it was a busy road. So he said to his daughter, listen, this is our apartment, and the rule is this, you do not go on that road. Understand? And the girl says, yes. And he goes off to do the conferences and stuff. He comes back, where's the girl? On the road. Get into the house. What did I tell you? Don't go on the road. Now, I'm not going to tell you again. He goes off again, comes back, where's the girl? On the road, get back in the house. And the third time, he really lost his temper, took her into the bed, sat her on the bed and said, right, why did you do that? Listen, this is a true story. A nine-year-old girl got to come up with an answer. You know what the answer was. (laughs) She said, the devil made me do it, daddy. The devil made me do it. Hey, guys, we can laugh and it is funny, but the same can happen within us where we blame shift and get stuck in a rut with some blind spot, some blinkered spot in your life or in mine. If you get a parking ticket because you parked on double yellow lines, hey, I deserved it. You probably deserved it, right? If you're going to go down at 100 miles an hour, you deserve to get stopped because you're dangerous. So don't blame shift. In fact, there's a book in the Bible, 1 John, which is written all to help you deal with that first part, with the world. It's an excellent, excellent epistle. What about the flesh then? Well, the world is everything that is not part of the flesh and the devil, right? How do we deal with the flesh and how is that different? Well, once again, Pentecostals say the devil, the devil, the devil. No, the world, the flesh and the devil. And this gets a little bit more complicated, but Paul says that everything is beneficial for me. Sorry, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And over the years, again, I've seen some people get very, very messed up with the way in which they deal with this one, with number two. You know, the Bible says, do not rejoice, remember, when demons submit to you. 
I've had two people that I dealt with, and both of them, it really it grieves me to see what happened. Two people who were dancing on Satan's head, coming into the church, rejoicing over the submission of demons. And I saw it. And I remember calling one, and they were like years apart, but I called this one woman aside, and I said, you are rejoicing greatly over the fact that demons submit. And I'm warning you, do not do that. Well, she laughed me out of court. Pah! What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. I said, I'm warning you, and I'm warning you too. Don't crucify the devil. This is a flesh issue, you see. Listen to me. Christians who refuse to crucify their flesh, guess what they do? Crucify the devil. They try to crucify the devil. It's just another form of blame shifting. And I could see that woman struggle in her own life and come into church with great frustrations. But her way of dealing with it was to dance on the devil's rejoice in a way that Jesus himself said, do not, do not rejoice. It's a warning because you get into a bad spirit. And there was another man, the very same thing, rejoicing in the wrong way. We need to crucify our flesh, amen, not the devil. So there's a warning there and we would do well to heed it. The third point under that one just is be careful about habits of the flesh as well because they don't stay there. Flesh habits lead to spiritual things. There was one guy who was demonized, once a very famous demoniac actually, and I felt sorry for him because I knew the family and I prayed to God. He was out in the city, he's completely mad. And he had been normal. I said, God, everybody's you know, talking about this guy, such a bad witness, would you send him to us? And we'll drive that spirit out of him and set him free. And God did. Sent him to us. Drove the demon out of him. And it was fantastic. And that guy sat in the front row of our church for, I don't know, it was about three or four months, totally free. And people would come to, you know, to see him and, and, and say, Are you, you know, yes, it's true. And it was all over. And he did mad things, crazy, crazy things for several years. But one day I was in the church, I was working on the platform, and this guy was at the back. Now he's had several months completely free. And I listen, and I can hear his old habit back in his mouth. He had a very bad habit of talking about leaders. And he hasn't done that for months. And I'm just up, and I hear him talking about leaders. I, oh, I said, excuse me, could you come out with me for a cup of coffee? And I sat him down. I said, I heard you years ago. Remember when you started all this? You probably started with a habit. A habit in the flesh. And because you persisted in that habit, at some point, some demon got you, pal. And now we've set you free. And you're still free. In fact, when I was having a cup of coffee with him, he was free. Off the spirit. He was just in the flesh. And I was saying to him, do you know what you need to do? You need to break that habit. Because if you don't, you're going to go back onto the spirit again. Are you with me? And I tell you, he would not accept that. And so that's exactly what he did. He ended up back in, in a much worse state than he ever was. Last time I heard of him, someone said they'd seen him in another city from the one we were in. They said they saw him running down the middle of the main street as fast as he could 
and a few feet behind him was a man with a stick. <laughs> yep, that's him. <laughs> this guy was crazy. But you see, the, the habit led to a bad spirit. And it's the same for you and for me. There's a warning here. Deal with your flesh. Crucify the flesh. Mortify the flesh. In fact, Paul puts it like that. He simply says, make no provision for it. Don't provide for it. I was telling Jeanette not to feed the cats. We've got loads of cats around the area, but we've got our own cat, you know? And she gets terrorized by these other cats because there's big toms and everything else come over the back wall. And some of them are very frightening, you know? I call them terrorists, actually, because they come in and they're a bit like that. They're not frightened of anybody. And our cat's cute, you know? She goes, you know, meow. The, these guys go, meow, meow. And they walk in. And it's, it's like, I'm, I'm big black one there, you know, with white eyes. And he stands and looks over the wall. I said to her, if you feed that thing, what's going to happen? It will come back. It will come back and come back and come back. And Paul's advice is incredibly simple. So simple, you can miss it. When he talks about the flesh, he says, mortify it, crucify it, and if you don't, don't, whatever you do, don't feed it, right? So first the world, second the flesh, and third the devil. And the last one we'll cover actually over several weeks to come, but as I mentioned this morning, the book of Ephesians actually is written to you and to me, the book of 1 John to help us deal with the world, the book of Galatians to help you deal with the flesh, and then you come to Ephesians when you talk about the devil. And in there you'll see many, many things where God tells you that you have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. A wonderful concept. Remember, the devil has defeated every Christian who ever lived. But he couldn't defeat Jesus. Jesus defeated him. So therefore, my security, my freedom lies in Christ. Do you remember Acts chapter 19? Remember what happened to seven sons of Sceva? Anybody remember that? That's right. Paul the Apostle, listen to me. Paul the Apostle, we're on the third point, the devil. Paul the Apostle is walking around driving out demons. And some Jews see what he's doing and say, hey, that looks good. I think I'll have a go at that. So some of those who are not seated with Christ, some of those who are not seated or born again, what do they do? They walk up to a demoniac they start to try and drive out the demon and seven of them get beaten to a pulp. It's in your Bible in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 19. You have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And that is very important. Don't underestimate it. Because that's where your power comes from. That's where your authority comes from. Right? But remain there. Stay there. Remember I told you about our drop-in center in Dublin where... There were some good policemen and some bad policemen, you know. Sometimes the police will give you a bit of hassle. And there was a couple of cops that were giving me a bit of hassle over some people who were coming in. They were on, you know, some were still on uh, cocaine, heroin, methadone, and all that sort of thing. And I was trying to work with them. But a couple of rookies came on the scene, and they were starting to hassle us. I was not aware of the law. And this series about, is about the law of freedom in Christ Jesus. I was not aware of the law. And these guys were able to come in and hassle me. And one day someone said to me, do you know what? When the police walk in here and they don't have a warrant and they don't have this, you can actually put them out. I thought, that's great, you know. Kind of scary, though, to try it. 
And these two guys come in. I'm dealing with a fella. And they start to hassle the fella. And I tried it out. I said, excuse me, just get out of the center, please. Just go out. And they did. <laughs> There's a law. There's a law that I knew nothing about. There's a law that I could operate in. And it was the first I'd heard of it. And yet I could be dominated in my own center. Because I didn't know about it, but someone told me. And today you're being told about another law. It's the law of freedom for those who are in Christ. Now there's operational policies for that law as we'll look at in weeks to come. But we are free. We're free. Now, of course we're free in principle, but more than principle. We're free indeed. And it's getting to those deeds that we're going to do. I'll invite the worship team back at this time. Prepare yourself for the coming weeks. Please stay attentive. Read Ephesians. Read Galatians. Read 1 John. And begin to prepare your mind so that one day, a soon day, you can say, the prince of this world may be in the world, but he's got nothing on me. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.